Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Last week, we kicked off our new series called Cancel Culture. Uh, kind of a spicy topic, depending what you know about cancel culture. What a, way, a good way to get your attention, right? Cancel culture. If you weren't here last week or you missed last week, went through this big idea as we explored, first of all, what is actually happening inside of our society? What is happening with this idea of cancel culture? And, and what is it? So it starts with this. Cancel culture is a group mentality because everyone has a phone or an iPad or a computer. Everybody can group together and they can have an opinion or a thought in which then they can make that known in a large mass, either against a group of people or a particular person. And the cancel culture, in its essence, mentality is to shut somebody out for something they have done, something they have said, or something you disagree with. So in a large group uh, mentality, it, it can be very, very negative. But there was a positive aspect that happened to cancel Culture. The positive aspect that came through and happened is that inside of cancel culture, the oppressed got a voice. So all of a sudden, someone who did not have a voice or could not be heard, uh, those who were abused now have a voice to be able to speak against oppression. And so we saw in this movement uh, that racism was called out. We saw that women who were sexually mistreated were called out. And so now in this culture, you've got this opportunity for us to be able to call out in a large mass people who are doing the wrong things. Well, that's, there's an other side to this with inside cancel culture, which is this just depends what the group of people think. So when you've got something as cut and dried as some of those things I mentioned, what about when there is political agendas? What about when the right doesn't agree with the left and the left doesn't agree with the right and now we're going to start battling each other in this with the purpose of having a political agenda to push my agenda forward. So now you've got political parties where back in the day people could actually, I don't know, have a discussion, you know, talk about different topics. It's now if you don't agree with me, you're against me. If you don't agree with me, you're against me. And if you're against me, you're my enemy. So cancel culture has this one beautiful spotlight of, hey, the oppressed are getting a voice. Those who are being abused have a place where this oppression and abuse can stop. Then you've got this undertone over here of a mentality that if you're not for me, you're against me. But it goes even deeper because cancel culture is you are guilty until proven guilty. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It doesn't matter if you said or didn't say something. In cancel culture, people are going back 35 years in people's past of something they said that's taken out of context to bring it forward to this point. It's like, no, no, I didn't mean that when I said that. Like, yes, you did. Therefore, you are canceled. And that canceling means they can lose their life. They can lose their profession. Uh, they can lose a lot and saying, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. It doesn't matter. You're guilty till proving guilty. But then there's this other side within the faith world. Inside of the faith world, we don't agree with culture. We never have agreed with all of culture. From the very beginning of time, 
we start to see that as cultures being built, there's God's ways and society's ways. And those two are always in opposition. And that's why we celebrate Jesus when he says, I've come to bring God's kingdom, the kingdom of God to earth, that he's bringing God's ways to make it clear for us in our current day of what it looks like with flesh and blood to follow God's kingdom. And so there's been this opposition between the two worlds for a very long time. And culture is always changing. But we, I said last week, stand firmly on the word of God. I told you, I don't care if you cancel me. I'm going to read, teach, and work through the entire word of God, like it or not, because that I'm too dumb to make up anything else. I will teach the word. That's the smart thing to do. And inside of the word are things that are rub us the wrong way inside of culture. So now as a faith community, cancel culture is looking at anything that we believe, even within the faith community, that doesn't match up. Look, culture is saying, correct, you are against us. You are canceled. And so within a faith community, there's been tension of how do we work and how do we deal with what we believe versus what our culture is saying. How do we as Christians deal and, and work with this idea that do, do I call out things or do I remove people out of my life? How do we balance and deal with cancel culture? And last week, we just started to dig into it. And our big idea that we came up with was this, that we need to think eternally, not currently. Out of Colossians, we learn that we are a new person, and we start with this idea that we are ourselves, new beings, new value systems, new perspectives. We are kingdom-minded people, and our thoughts are that of heaven, not of now, because when we think of heaven first, we now know how to relate to now. So we looked at that last week. I said, if you want more answers, you've got to come back and welcome you back to find out more answers. And that's where we're going to dig into the word today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and Paul, the author Paul is writing to this church that's struggling. The church in Corinth is having some issues, and the big idea of 1 Corinthians is that the followers of Jesus are held to this standard of integrity and morality. He's calling them to this standard. If you're a Christ follower, this is the way that you live. These are your standards. These are your morals. Uh, in turn, you have a responsibility to now live this out inside of our culture. So 1 Corinthians actually deals a lot with how do we interact with our calling inside of a culture that has a different moral standard or different belief system. So today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be going through verse 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, iPads, we'll also have it up on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, you're going to say, wow, Jason, really interesting text for you to pick. It's about uh, incest. So... Interesting topic, but I think it's going to actually really help us understand what Paul is saying in context of our culture today. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 12. It is actually reported, saying Paul got the report, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his, of his flesh, 
so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. My paraphrase sounds a lot like canceling, but we'll keep reading. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old bread leaven, with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business of a mind to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Light reading on a Sunday morning. So Paul gives this word, and he writes in this letter. So he's writing a letter. And sometimes when we read scriptures, we're not, we, we forget the fact that some of these, like in, in Paul's writings, he's writing a letter to a literal church that's going through stuff. So he is off. He is writing to them saying, okay, I want to give you some instruction. I'm getting reports and news back of what's happening. And so here's something that they told me about. You got one of your boys sleeping with his stepmoms. What is going on there? Inside of the church, and now we don't know how big the church is at this time, but let's just say it's the size of Mosaic. Mosaic is several hundred people large. And so we've got several hundred people who are sitting in a room and all this sin's going on. And, and they are fully aware that this man is doing this and they're celebrating it. They're, they're cool with it. And they're like, ah, it's no big deal. And when I read this passage, my first response was that I don't, I can see that there's something there, but I need to put it in perspective. I like to put it into our current times because when you see something like that, you're like, dude, that's messed up, man. <laughs> like, why would he be doing this? So I'm going to make up a scenario. This is not the Bible. This is Jason's thought bubbles. I've thought bubbles a lot. Too many, actually, if you ask my wife. But I have thought bubbles, right? And so I wanted to make it something more palatable for us. So let's say this. Let's say the father's and the son, his mom died. Okay, so the mom died. Mom died, and then this husband remarried, and he married a younger woman. So let's say that this woman was only, I don't know, three to four years older than his son. That happens in our culture sometimes, right? So he remarries young. He marries a younger wife. She's only a few years older than the son. Um, but because of the pain of losing his wife, his first wife, he starts abusing the new wife, and he is distant, and he is cold. And he is physically, verbally, emotionally abusive to this woman. And this woman is a sweet woman. She's gorgeous. She's kind. She's a good woman. And he's being so terrible to her. And so they go to church, uh, their services together on Sundays, and they show up, and they can see how this guy is treating this woman. So mean, yelling at her. You can tell that there's something not wrong. And so eventually this man just says, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm done with you. I'm done with this family. I'm out of here. So he decides, I'm abandoning this family. So he takes off, and he's out of the picture. Who knows where he goes? Somewhere bad, probably Illinois. So he goes off. <laughs> Don't wear bear stuff on Packer Bear Sunday. That's all I'm saying. So he takes off. <laughs> That's 
<laughs> he takes off. He's gone. And now you've got this wonderful woman with this young son in a culture where women can't take care of themselves. And in their culture, women did not have the ability to take care of themselves like in our culture. So that's why you see in scriptures, they'll tell us to take care of the poor, to take care of the widows. So in a sense now, she's abandoned. This man has left her in so many words to die. And so the mom and the son start coming to church on Sundays, and they really kick it off. They care about each other. And this flame starts between them. And he is so kind to her and so loving. And he opens the car door for her. And he comes and he brings her flowers. And he's such a nice young man. But they're only a couple of years apart. Like she was a senior when he was a freshman, right? And so they just start to kindle this love. And it makes sense because it's not his real mom. Because they're not really... That doesn't really make sense, but we're still going to do it. But then they start to get together, and the church says, oh, my gosh, she just needs so much help. And he loves her so much. This has to be okay. Let's, let's really celebrate this. Or even worse, let's not say anything about it. We're going to let them do their thing because they've gone through so much as a family. And so this relationship is kind of kindling, and it's kind of weird. But the church is just kind of looking like maybe it's okay. Maybe they, but they're in love. Who are we to judge people who are in love? Who are we to say somebody can't have a sexual relationship? In fact, if you tell me I should not be in a sexual relationship, you are oppressing my sexual desires and feelings. I've been oppressed before by the church by being told what I can and can't do. I have freedoms. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. Who are we as a church body to say anything about it? So the church is just silent. or like, oh, you guys are so in love. When are you getting married? Can I go to your bridal shower? We'll have the wedding at the church. This is going to be great. But she's still married to the other man. Does that make a little more palpable for you? You have a little more feelings involved? Now, I made the story up, so I don't know what the true story is. I made a parable about it. But you can start to see there's a scenario in which the church family is starting to feel maybe this is okay. And so if this is okay... What in the world is the role of the church of somebody who is blatantly living in sin? Now, in my experience, I've seen many different expressions of faith in church, and I, and I know you guys have different expressions or, or new expressions. We're your first one. Um, but there's different expressions of faith uh, in your communities. Uh, one of the most common expressions of dealing with issues in the church is either absolute, head-banging, blow-you-up truth in which you drop a bomb on you, destroy, like, you're terrible, get out of here, we'll never see you again. Uh, some expressions in old school, I'll give an example, would be if a young woman got pregnant, they would kick that family out of the church, okay? So this woman now is no longer to express herself, even if she was repentant and repented of everything, they're like, you just can't be here because you're pregnant and not married inside of our church walls. Or hey, you smoke, and I think smoking's bad, so you, if you smoke, you can't come to our church, or whatever. There's been that kind of like extreme expression over here. The other extreme expression over here is, hey, we love grace. Grace is our favorite thing. No matter what you do, we forgive you and love you. Grace, 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 grace. Just try to be a good person. And could you not do that as much here, right? Like, we just love, love, love. And we don't ever call anybody to any sort of truth. And when you take these two 
on the two extremes and put them together, grace married with truth, the, the name of that is Jesus Christ. Jesus balanced truth with grace absolutely perfectly in this paradox which says, like, how can you be fully truthful yet fully full of grace? And as the church, that is what our job is to do, is how do we bring these two together so that we work with people to move them forward? Some of you may know this, uh, but I am a coach now at Slinger High School. I started coaching this season, uh, the, the volleyball team, and I, I absolutely love it. Oh, my word, I love it. Uh, as you could probably pick up, I'm a spunky guy. So um, I love coaching. And one of the things I love about coaching is this. Coaching has to always balance grace with truth. I've had wonderful coaches in my life, and I've had terrible coaches in my life. My favorite coaches pushed me to get the best out of me, but never crushed me. Pushed me, but didn't crush me. And a bad coach not only would crush you, a bad coach says nothing. Like, if my game is terrible and I'm doing a very bad job, I'm like, coach, can I work on something? Nah, you're good. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, I screwed everything up. That's okay. I'm just here for the paycheck and the free coffee, right? Like, that's not a good coach. A good coach is going to push its athletes to get the most out of him or her, but at the same time balancing the fact that there's more to life than the sport. And so coaching, I love it because I get to balance this. And this is, <laughs> I have the opportunity to coach young girls. So take balance of truth and grace and crushing and then teenage hormones, right? So push too hard, broken. You know, don't challenge them enough and they're not doing what you need. It is a beautiful balance. And I, that's why I love the coaching world, but that's also being a pastor, I have to say hard things about your quote-unquote game that you don't like to hear. I have to share things and say, brother, sister, what you're doing is not correct. In fact, the way that you're living is outside the bounds of what God has for us. And, and I've had many instances where people are mad at me for that, in which I say, I didn't write the book. I'm just reading it to you. This is the word of God. It is his word. Yes, we can take the word of God and manipulate it any way we want to make it fit what we want to say. See, it's not really a sin, and we try to find loopholes. But the truth of the matter is this. As a church community, our job is to push each other forward in the way of God and getting rid of our old way of doing things. Let me reread this, because this goes from back to last week, last week to help you understand. Colossians 3, verses 5 to 10. We studied this last week, but I want to give this back to you again to reprocess what I'm saying. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Last week, I made a side joke comment that said, okay, how many of your sins were listed in this list? Because it isn't a once and done process. We're in this process of continually putting off the old way and creating the new way. We are coaching each other to be more like Jesus. 
That's our jobs. As a church family, we gather here to worship God, and we're in community to help each other walk, to be more like him. And so when sin is not talked about, it's not called out, we're not even mentioning to our friends, our sisters, our brothers, to anybody, to our leadership at the church. If we're just letting sin go without saying, you need to repent, we're not doing the right thing. And so Paul is being very consistent because he wrote Colossians, he also wrote 1 Corinthians. And so he's being very consistent in the way that he's teaching. He's saying, my brothers and sisters, the way that we walk in the kingdom of God is that you have to remove the way that you used to do to the new way. Otherwise, it's going to be an absolute train wreck. Friends, I don't know what type of sins you've been engaged in, and I don't want to know. It'd be overwhelming, because if I gave you my list, you'd probably fire me, because we all sin. But I want us to process this. Has sin ever come out the joyous way that you thought it would when you first engaged it? Do you think the relationship with this young man and this woman is going as good as he hoped it would be? Sure, there's instant pleasure. Sure, there's this joy. But deep down inside, friends, when I sit down with people who are living in a sin cycle, they're like, I'm miserable. I'm not happy. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. It's not filling my needs. Whatever we want to answer in there. Because sin is the absolute death of us, literally and spiritually. So why in the world, if we're a place of community that we are trying to walk more like Jesus, that we would not call sin for sin and say, Stop it. Stop doing it. Just stop it. Oh, but sin is tasty sometimes. It lures us in. It lies to us. Much like the story I told you, the parable, we start to believe things and try to find answers in which sin can be acceptable just for this occurrence. But sin nailed Jesus Christ to a cross when he didn't have to be there. It cost God everything for his son to be put there so why in the world do we ever want to dance or play with it? Because we're all knuckleheads. So if you're sitting there thinking, but Jason, I'm still sinning, welcome to Mosaic Church, because we all are. But that's not the point of his message. The point of his message isn't to cancel this man, is this man repents. Repentance is always the key to what we are doing. But there's probably two groups of people here today. There's two groups. Group A is like, you know what? That dude is getting what he deserves. They should kick him out of the church. He should be removed from the church. He shouldn't be around because that's nasty, okay? There's group B that says, you know, that seems pretty harsh. Where, are, where is this person going to go? What are they going to do? Uh, what would we have done with this person if they're kicked out? And these two tensions inside of this room right now, inside of your own mind, come together at that paradox of grace and truth at the same time. Because grace says, if you repent, you're forgiven. You're not canceled. But what if somebody doesn't repent? What if someone's okay? I'm okay with it. I'm cool. Because this is the story that's being told by Paul. This is not a story. If I heard the story of this is happening and you guys aren't saying it, but then you said something, this person repented, he is, first of all, speaking to the church and saying, church, you need to call this out. Secondly, if this man is not going to repent and stop this behavior, 
He's got to go because he is changing the culture of your church. When we accept sin as being okay, what happens within a group of people is we all start to feel, hey, maybe it's not that big of a deal. If I spoke to you up in front and said, Jesus loves you, Jesus is your homeboy, Jesus is your friend, Jesus loves you no matter what, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus loves, 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 but didn't say Jesus loves so stop sinning, Jesus loves so there's a kingdom of God so let's live for his kingdom, not our own. If I didn't finish the whole story of God, our culture would be one in which we're okay with sin kind of happening and we don't take it very seriously. I think you've picked up my viewpoint of this. I really, really believe with all of my heart because the scriptures tell us that we have to call each other out for sin, not to cancel, but in love. I've been in expressions. I've been in situations. and I've, been, I've had lots of situations. It seems the church world brings them to you a lot. But I've been in, in, in an instance where I've seen this done so beautifully, so wonderfully done, in which there, the goal was reconciliation in love. A brother and sister were approached um, they were called to the carpet uh, for what they were doing. There was love. There was brokenness in the room. There was humility in the room. There was weeping and tears. There was, there was frustration with the, the people involved, but also thank you for calling it to us. There was repentance. And the church did an amazing job of loving. I've also seen another expression in which that same scenario and the person started yelling and the words were, who are you to judge me? Ever hear that before? Who are you to judge me? Well, according to 1 Corinthians, it's the job of the church to call to the carpet those inside of the church. And so uh, uh, Paul told me to do it. Like, you know, like, blame Paul, right? We're supposed to do this because if we're not growing forward, then what are we doing here? Listening to messages and singing songs and drinking really good coffee, like there's better things to do on a Sunday. We are here for the purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your coach, but I'm not the only one. You are coaching others as well. If you're a believer and you have Christ as your savior, you are a disciple maker whether you want it or not. If you didn't know that part of the story, just go back and read Matthew 28. It gives you a command that you're supposed to go and make disciples. And it's not my job. My job is to equip and train you to go do the work. So I am your coach to help you grow because as you grow, your life is going to be reflected into the community, reflected in others. And imagine this. Oh, I go to Mosaic Church. Yeah, I'm sleeping with my stepmoms, but it's cool. They're cool with it. We're going to be in the newspaper, guys. <laughs> hey, I go to Mosaic Church. I really messed up, but you know what? That place... They're about broken people, and they forgave me, and I know I'm forgiven, and I'm on the journey to be more like Jesus. I'm, I keep messing up, but I, I want to get better. I'm working on it. Like, I, I don't have it all together, but I'm fighting. I want to be more like my king. I want to be more like Jesus. That's a different story. So I want you to think about this for a second, because within a church plant, and again, depending on your story, in a church plant, uh, things are kind of chaotic all the time, right? Church plants are just chaos. We're getting better, but it's chaos. Uh, and one of the things that, because we're a young church, does, does not have to go through the expression of yet, is the word church discipline. If you're not aware of what this is, uh, church discipline is scriptural. 
It's called for the leaders of the church. Our leadership is the executive team, also uh, led by our district, uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance district. We have a leadership team which oversees. And church discipline, the purpose of this is not punitive, but for repentance. And there are instances and things in which the leadership team has to sit down and talk with people about their actions and the choices that they're making, which are outside of the bounds of Scripture. That's what's happening right now in the conversation with Paul. In a young church, we have not had to have that expression uh, yet, and I'm really hoping that we never do, friends. Hopefully this message comes clear. Uh, But if it comes to that, that's what has to happen next, that we confront somebody, and if that person would not listen to what's being shared, then another person goes to them. And if that person is not listening once again, this is in Matthew 18, if that person not listen again, once again, now we have to take that step further. And the purpose of this is not to shame you. It's to change you. Because you are not seeing what's going on. You're not seeing what's happening in your life. And so our job is to walk with you with the goal, with tears and with repentance to take a step forward. But let's be clear, anytime there's discipline, it can be abused. I've seen church discipline abuse people. I've seen negativity come from it. I've seen people walk away from God altogether because of how it was handled. So it is a delicate, fine line between speaking love to somebody and canceling them. Uh, Brad Hambrick writes this in an article. The article is, How and When Does Church Discipline Conclude? He says this. I love how he says this. There are two possible outcomes for church discipline. The first and most desirable outcome is restoration. Restoration happens when the members agree with God about the nature of their sin, turn from their sin emotionally, so there's remorse, and volitionally, or they change their choices, and embrace the support of fellow believers offering accountability and encouragement and are grateful for the way their church family pursued them during a season of waywardness. The second possible outcome is removal from membership. This is a statement by the church that the fruit of the conversion cannot be found in the church member. This step is intended as a warning and, quote, tough love call to change. This is just the way it has to be for the sake of the family. Paul makes it very clear. But is the church ever called to cancel somebody? If you've been canceled by the church saying, you cannot be here, and there was not a call for repentance, there was not a call for restoration, if there was not a call for you as a brother or sister to make a change, to say, I'm here, um, help me with this, if they just booted you, that's not scriptural. If you are in a church situation in which knowledgeable sin is happening, and they are not calling people to the carpet for that, that's on that church leadership. I don't need to name the names of high-octane popular pastors in the last five years who have been found out for mistreatment in their leadership role. You guys read the articles. I don't need to call them out. Mistreatment of their leadership role. Their elder boards or their governing boards did not call this person to the carpet. Things were hidden. Things were covered up for the sake of, quote-unquote, protecting the church. And I'm telling you, my friends, that is not from the Word of God. The Word of God says we expose these things, we call sin to the carpet for the sake of protecting the church. But here's the fear. If we're honest, everyone's going to leave. 
And if everyone leaves, we won't have a church anymore. And if the church, we don't have a church anymore, then how are we going to make an impact in our community? And Paul is saying the most important thing you can do is have a healthy church in which people are growing and are a light and a mirror of the gospel into the community. It doesn't matter if you're gathering and you guys are allowing all sorts of debauchery happening in the name of Jesus. That is a disrespect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoo, dog. We've got to battle with this because inside of our hearts, like in my heart, because I've got a big squishy heart, which means I just love people like, oh, group of friends, right? So I have a big squishy heart and it is hard at times for me to engage this because I so much want to be loved and cared for by people. But the truth is leaders have to lead. And even in this message, though it's hard for us to hear this morning, there's an element of truth. I'm your coach. And just like I tell my, my kids, um, I'm not your friend. I'm your parent. You guys have probably used that before, right? If you haven't, then you're probably a millennial. But <laughs> I am your, not your friend. I'm your parent because my love trumps what a friend would do and say. And there's been times as a good parent, I've had to say hard things in which I was not liked. I've had to um, discipline in ways in which I was hated. And yeah, that stings, right? Any parent out there like doesn't enjoy. Well, if you do, we'll talk about that later. But we shouldn't enjoy the process of bringing punishment to our children. But at the same time, the joy of watching our children change and make the right choices is the joy of what discipline brings. Why in the church world do we believe we should be above that? Especially when living this new life and putting on this new self is so hard. So hear this today, friends. It's not about you sinning because we all are going to sin. It's your attitude towards sin. And what do we do when we're in a funk or we're making the mistakes? What we do is in love, we speak to each other and say, brother, sister, change your ways. And if you won't do it, it starts to escalate. And when it moves to the point of being removed, you're at that place which you say, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to do what I want. I'm in love. Yeah, she's my stepmom. You guys are just being dumb. Whatever. But I want to move on to our last part here with Paul. In verse 9, this isn't about how we deal with people outside of the faith community. This is for Christians. So if you call Jesus Christ your Savior, our standard is to walk with each other to be more like Jesus. This is not for the outside people. So verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. In, in the Christian world, there has been a movement that's now changed a bit, but there was a movement of separation from the world. We say, we do not deal with any of the bad people in the world. Uh, we're just going to be bad people inside the church, right? That's a joke. We're going to separate ourselves from the bad people. So anything over here, we don't talk and hang out with those people. And Paul made it very clear. Uh, your purpose is the gospel, and if I told you not to hang out with people who are 
making mistakes, well then you wouldn't hang out with anybody. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, Paul's saying, is that you are to call to the carpet people who are living this way and are not repenting inside of the church walls. That is your job. If you are in that world, you have to help each other grow to be more like Christ. That is your job. So outside the world, I, I'm not judging my friends who are not believers. That doesn't make any sense at all. They're going to live the way that they think they live. And some of the guys and people I hang out with um, are not very polished, we'll say. And I love it. And they feel super comfortable saying whatever they want to me uh, at any time. And as a matter of fact, I feel honestly a lot more times comfortable out with them because at least they're being honest about stuff, right? And so, but I've talked with them and I've said, hey man, maybe you should, sounds like a terrible choice. You should probably not do that, speaking even uh, a morality of God. And like, yeah, you're probably right, but it's whatever, right? I can't judge him because he doesn't hold to the standards of the gospel and what we're here in scriptures. Inside, or those who are believers, whether you attend Mosaic or not, our story is we're walking with each other to be more like Christ no matter what. And so if we have friends who are believers and are purposefully engaging in continual ongoing sin, yet we are saying nothing about it, we've got to start to ask the question, do you understand what our role is as a faith community and a family? Because our role again, isn't to cancel, it's restoration. Canceling says, I want to destroy your life. Canceling comes in the idea that I go on social media and I see the threads of Christians who are just absolutely blasting somebody for their thought and throwing every Bible verse. In. You want to make people mad outside the Christian world? Just throw Bible verses at them. You want to make them really mad? Just, throw, just slam Bible verses in their face. Like, I don't even believe that book anyways, right? So they're just blasting and slamming, and there's not even like a, an ounce of love because social media is such a wonderful thing at the same time. It is straight from the devil, I swear, because something used for so good can be flipped around to destroy people's lives. And so I'm watching believers, those who are saying, well, I'm a follower of Christ, and truth bomb on social media. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to gossip. We're not supposed to talk about that person to other people. We're supposed to go to that person, go to that friend, go to that person in the church community and say, brother, I got, can I talk to you? Can you get some coffee, man? And start with the process of the word says this, man, I'm seeing that you're struggling. I got to call it to the carpet. That's, that's what we're called to do. Not because I'm mad at you, it's because I love you. Because at the end of the day, I want you to process this for a second. When I stand before Jesus, okay, I'm not giving an account for your life. You are. You ever thought about that? It's just you. Like, you're there giving an account for your life. So it's not like, well, can I bring Pastor Jason in so that he can, like, tell you what a good person, that doesn't work like that. It's just you. And when I'm there, it's just me. And you know what I'm accountable for is that I teach and teach you the word of God in its entirety and call you to holiness as God's called us to. That's going to be some of the things I'm accountable for as a leader. You're accountable for hearing the word and doing the word and being transformed into the likeness of Christ, just as I am, to be disciple-making disciples to bring the gospel into the world. Whew! Good morning, Mosaic. This is also exciting because let me tell you why this is exciting. 
we aren't just here to sit here. We're here on mission. We're here on mission not to shame people, but to grow people. We're here on mission to love people, care for people, nurture people, bring the gospel to the lost, love everybody inside and outside of the church, help each other grow to be more like each other. In my world, we've called it accountability. I've had an accountability partner uh, for I don't know how many years now. Men who've spoken into my life, and I start to share things in my life with people I can trust, and those brothers have called me to the carpet more times than not. And said, Jason, they usually start like this, Jason, you know I love you, but. (laughs) Jason, you know I love you, but. You need to go fix that now. Jason, you know I love you, but. You need to stop that. Jason, you know I love you, but. You better get flowers and tell your wife you're sorry. That's been a lot. (laughs) Jason, I love you, but. Church friends, this is the culture that we need to live in as we are a church family. Our focus is always restoration, not cancellation. Our goal is always to restore people and bring them to their rightful place of repentance before the Lord. But if we are not going to do it, you've got to ask the question, who's going to do it then? For that brother who is sleeping with his stepmom, I don't know his story. I don't know the background. We made a, a parable today to kind of relate The truth is, though, Paul was very clear. If somebody is going to be doing something in the the face of a church family, it's the purpose of the church family with love to call that person to be restored and to repent. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.